Warning, this episode will contain explicit content. This may be offensive to children under the age of 18. Also, this may be offensive to some adults as well. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Use and Abuse, a music podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Kim. This is episode 58. Today, we're going to be hearing from Stanley Gorkoff, president of the Recording Industry Association of America, Incorporated, better known as the RIAA, as he testifies before the Senate Committee hearing on September 19th, 1985. Before we do, let's find out what is... This day in music history. Today is July 12th, 2019. And in... 1969, Blind Faith, a supergroup with Eric Clapton and Steve Winwood, began their U.S. tour with a show at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Their album isn't released yet, but the show is still a sellout thanks to Clapton's star power. Zager and Evans, in the year 2525, hits number one in the U.S. The song was also number one in the U.K., making them the only one-hit wonders ever in both the U.S. and U.K. singles chart <laughs> charts. After getting a lot of requests to sing the song that they included in their live act, Danny Zager and... Oh, yeah, Danny. Oh, Danny Zager. There's not an A in there, there's an E. And Rick Evans had invested just $500 to press 1,000 copies of the tune. After a Texas radio station added it to their playlist, RCA signed the duel, but the record would prove to be their only U.S. chart entry. It did, however, stay at number one in the U.S. for six weeks, which was longer than any other song that year and earned it the distinction of number one record of the year in 1969. Glenn Campbell appeared as a special guest on this week's Johnny Cash ABC television music variety show, along with Joe Tex and Jenny C. Riley. And for those of you who don't know who she is, she is the singer of Harper Valley PTA. Glenn performed Someday Little Girl and Take My Hand for a While. And in 1979, it's Disco Demolition Night. Sweet! (laughs) At Kamiksky Park where the White Sox and Tigers are playing a double hitter. Oh, station break real quick. In case those of you that are not baseball fans, that is the Chicago White Sox and Detroit Tigers. Okay, back to our program. The plan is to blow up a bunch of disco albums between games, but it goes horribly wrong when fans become unruly and rush the field, forcing the White Sox to forfeit the second game and in 1989 the willie nelson album a horse called music was released the album includes nelson's last number one single nothing i can do about you nothing i can do about it now and the single there you are 1999 dm oops i'm saying in ah, my bad 1999 dmx was arrested in trinidad, trinidad. In mid-concert for using obscene language. That's ironic. Yes, it is. All right. Fred, and also Fred Durst, Limp Biscuit, 
was arrested in St. Paul, Minnesota for allegedly kicking a local security guard in the head during the band's performance. Happy birthday today to... 1969, Jesse Pintado, lead guitarist of Napalm Death. Jesse passed away on August 27, 2006 at 37 from liver failure after a diabetes-induced coma. So again, he was born today, 1969. Those we lost today are. I uh, should be is it only one? My bad. Nineteen seventy nine R and B singer Minnie Rip Ripperton. Ripton. Ripper. Yeah. Dies of breast. No, Rip Ripton. Ripton. Ripter. Oh my gosh! Screw it. Dies of breast cancer at age thirty one. That's young. That's very young. Last week in music news. July fourth. Independence Day. <laughs> Robin Z- Zander of Cheat Trick yeah. will sing on Ace Frehley's Origins Volume 2 album. Rock on. July 5th, Eddie Money cancels 2019 plans while battling health issues. The Take Me Home Tonight singer won't return to concert stage until 2020. Eddie, Eddie, we want to send our prayer, our thoughts and prayers out to you. Hope you get, get well soon, bud. Not that we know you, but still get well. Take me home tonight. Sorry. Move on. July 6th. In a recent interview with Planet Rock, the Red Rocker himself, Sammy Hagar, keeps the divide between he and David Lee Roth. Okay. Station break real quick. David Lee Roth, kiss those of you who don't know, was the original lead singer for Van Halen. Then after the 1984 album, not... Not it released in '84, but it was called 1984, which had the hit song "Jump," "Panama," and "Hot for Teacher" on it. Rock is out of the band, and then they eventually bring in the Red Rocker, Sammy Hagar, for 19. Gosh, I want to say 86 or 87. Van Halen album 5150. Okay, there we go. Go ahead, back to our regular scheduled program. Sammy says, and I quote: "I don't respect Dave's artistry." But I do think he's clever and a great showman. And what he did with Van Halen in the early days was fantastic. Van Halen couldn't have made it without him. God bless Dave. But he refuses to acknowledge that Van Halen with me was even more successful than Van Halen with him. And that's very stupid of him. They'd be like... Dad. That'd be like me. That would be... It would, yeah, that would. Not acknowledging what he did for the band before I joined. That would be stupid, wouldn't it? End quote. All right. So, again, I'm going to station break real quick. So, those of you who don't know, um, after Dave left and Sammy took over, I mean, 5150 sold like 6 million copies. It went like six times platinum. Uh, but the thing with Van Halen was, okay, with David Lee Roth, with, they were mostly known for all their fast, you know, their, their, their rockers. When Sammy came in the band, they got known for ballads, you know, Dreams. Uh, shoot, I can't even remember them all. But anyways, there's a lot of people. Who, now, now, it's just like Motley Crue fans. Okay, you got Motley Crue fans who are, you know, pro or all Vince. Okay, so anything Vince does. Has been good minus Generation Swine. 
they won't accept even though Vince seems on Generational Swine, they still won't accept it because Vince hates Generational Swine because it was still written by Karabi. Okay, then there's the fans who go, "Oh my gosh, that '94 album was actually awesome," you know, for Motley Crue. Okay, it's the same thing with with Van Halen fans. You got Van Halen fans who love everything that Sammy did. You got Van Halen fans who love everything that David Roth did, did. And then there's people like me who like both. I like both versions of Van Halen. They were both good. I don't care. I they they had great songs on both on both versions. So again, they're both great in their own deal. Who do I choose over? I mean, okay, we're talking about. I mean, he's talking about sales. Okay, yeah. So Sammy sold more albums. Okay, whoopie do. Uh, like he said though, Van Halen without Dave in the beginning wouldn't have been a band. I mean, they couldn't have done it without him. And I agree with that. And, and Dave's a showman. You know, he does all those karate kicks and all his, you know, stuff. And, I mean, Dave's a big-time showman. But, anyways, that's just my take on it. I like both versions of the band, so to see, and, he, and David and Sammy have been going at this since, well, since Sammy took over as the lead singer of Van Halen. So this has been going on for a long time. Anyways, back to our regularly scheduled program. I guess it's my turn, huh? It is. July 7th, Voivod. Frontman says he, in a recent interview with Jimmy K of Metal Voice, that the band is in, I quote, very early stages, end quote, of writing follow-up, writing the follow-up album to their 2018 release, The Wake. July 8th, Blake Shelton scores his 26th, 26th number one single with God's Country. Trying? Trying? Tying him with Alan Jackson and George Strait at number three on the all-time list for most number one singles on the Billboard Country Airplay chart, launched in 1990. Blake trails only Tim McGraw, who has 29, and Kenny Chesney with 30 at the all-time list. Okay, again, another station break. So Kenny Chesney, so here's the thing, okay? Uh, Tim McGraw has already released the singles, but not for 23 weeks. It's stuck in the 20s, okay? Uh, Blake is more likely going to be releasing a new song here soon, and Kenny Chesney's new song is releasing today on the podcast. So t- here on the 12th, his Kenny Chesney's new single will drop. So Kenny has a chance to, sh- if his shoots up the chart like it should, I mean, it's Kenny Chesney. You know, if it shoots up the chart like it should, he will have his 31st number one hit. While Blake will still be at 29 or at 26 and then jump to 20, maybe jump to 27. I don't know what his next single will be and exactly when it will be released. But I do know that on the 12th, Kenny Chesney is releasing a brand new single for his upcoming album. So. Okay. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting though, if you think about this, right? Blake ties Alan Jackson and George Strait at number three on the all time list at 20 with 26 number one singles. Okay. Tim McGraw is in second with 29, and in first place is Kenny Chesney at 30, okay? No Garth, no Reba, no Shania. I've noticed that. Which is kind of interesting. It is. You know, I mean, but then again, Garth did take a hiatus. Yeah, he did. You know, he took a hiatus in the 2000s, you know? During that time period, maybe Tim McGraw wouldn't have had as many. That's true. I mean, Garth pretty much left as Tim was getting hot. Yeah, he did. You know, I mean... As Tim got hot, Garth left to uh, be with his kids before until they went to college. Yeah. You know, so anyways, that's just my take, you know. 
So it, it's going to be an interesting year, probably next couple of years to see how Blake Shelton does compared to the other two. Yes, exactly. You know? And then again, who knows? You know, Alan and George could come out all of a sudden with a new album or something. We know I don't think George is touring anymore. Actually, no, he is touring because uh, on uh, Stone Cold's recent podcast, he actually went, him and his wife went to a George Strait concert in Vegas and got to actually hang out with George Strait in the limo. Oh, geez. Yeah, right? <laughs> go go drink some vodka with George Strait's vodka with George Strait. My good Lord, Steve, really? Yeah. Anyways, all right, it's enough of that. Let's get back to the show. July 9th, Rob Zombie has a message has a message for fans about his upcoming new release. As stated in a re- recent Revolver interview, and I quote, the record is done, and now we're just figuring out how to release it and deal with it while still being on tour, end quote, Zombie says. As for previewing new songs on his upcoming Twins of Evil tour leg with Marilyn Manson, he says, and I quote again, absolutely not. First of all, nobody wants to go to concerts and hear songs they don't know. Nobody, and if they say they do, they're full of beep. Oh, wait a minute. There was a warning at the beginning of this. He's, they're full of shit, end quote, he states. Set, and I quote again, second, if you do that, everybody films it and puts it on YouTube and starts prejudging something they don't even know about. When we put it out, we'll put it out perfectly. You'll have your record, your artwork, your videos, and yada, 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 end quote. The senior goes on to explain how the experience of releasing music differs now from 30 years ago, comparing today's public reception to a vacuum because there isn't as much hype for releasing an album. And I quote again, but at the same time, you make these videos, they go on YouTube, and you go, oh, look, 40 million views. I don't remember getting 40 million spins on MTV, he says. So, or end quote, he says. And I quote again, so in some ways, more people are enjoying your music. You just don't feel it until you finally play a show. So it's all good. It's just different. I can't complain about the music business. When I hear people complain about it, I just want to jump out a window. It's always changing, man. And if you're going to sit around and complain about the changes, the freaking parade is going to pass you by, end quote. All right. So again, we're in a station break. This is going to be severe station breaks, I guess. So here's my take on it. Yes, he's right. You cannot put, you can't try out new songs nowadays on your public or on your fans. Because like he says, they will record it and it'll go straight to YouTube. And the problem is, is when that happens is you got audio problems. You know, people are recording it on their phones. As loud the amps and stuff are, it don't come over properly. So it doesn't sound right. So you got people judging your new material, not in its perfect form. Plus, you know, the band can mess up some notes and a lot of, yeah, you know, like you said, yada, yada, yada. You know, the thing is, is I, I know, I, I know like when uh, Slaughter did it to us in 91 for uh, their, their song for Bill and Ted's second movie, it was really cool. Yeah. I mean, you didn't know the song. I mean, it was truthful. You didn't know it. Okay. You know, I mean, it was a brand new song, but they asked them to try it. I mean, it, it rocked. Okay. okay. Yet. Fast forward to the final tour. Uh-huh. And Motley Crue on the first leg of it come out with a brand new song, uh, a song called um, oh my gosh. Oh Lord Almighty. Uh uh All Bad Things Must Must Come to an End. Right? 
All, it's called All Bad Things, okay? Yet they try it on the crowd, and it gets uploaded to YouTube, and everyone's coming out of work, they're all over Facebook, all over Twitter, saying how much the song sucks and how it should, shouldn't even be in the, the, the list, the set list. Uh-huh. So by the time we see him in uh, Salt Lake at uh, USANA in 2014, they've already taken it out of the set list. Yeah. So, you know, I agree with Raw Zombie. You, you can't try new stuff on fans anymore. Not nowadays. Not, not in concerts. You have to no. just, you know, wait until it comes out, and then they can add it in there. Yeah. Anyways, back to the program. July 10th. July 10th. Panic at the disco singer. Brendan Yuri would, and I quote, love to do music, end quote, with Green Day, a band that he said got him, and I quote, into punk rock, and punk rock, end quote. The musician revealed as much this week during a stream on Twitch, the live gaming and video platform where he often connects with his fans. All right, all right. So now we're gonna get into the music purchases, and obviously we're not saying this is new because this was bought back in Goodwill on what day? May seventeenth, two thousand nineteen. So we're a little bit behind, okay? But as you guys know, there's been a few weeks where we've kind of held it back, so we're gonna kind of do it this time. It may shoot this over an hour and a, or near an hour and a half of a of a podcast. I apologize, but we gotta get some of these done, and just like I still haven't done videos, I gotta get the videos done too. Anyways, let's do it. We're on vinyl. Jay Lee Webb. She's looking better by the minute. All right. I'm station breaking right on the first one because I just. So originally we're supposed to look this stuff up, right? And we're going to give like what the release date and all that. If it charted or not. So I decided not to because it was just some of these. I was having a hard time looking them up. And but I found out some interesting information about Jay Lee Webb. I found out who his sisters are. And I mean sisters. Okay. Because, well, I mean, I guess in a way, he kind of grew up a coal miner's son. His well, sisters are... Loretta Lynn and Crystal Gale. Yeah. That's their brother. Holy That's one of their brothers. How? Yeah, right. Exactly. I, when I looked that up, I went, oh my gosh. Anyways. Wow. All right. So now moving on. Hank Williams Sr. and Hank Williams Jr., father and son. Obviously, this was released after Hank Williams passed away. Next one. George Jones, Encore. Mo Bandy and Joe Stampley. Hey, Joe. Hey, Mo. Ronnie McDowell, Good Time Loving Man. Dwayne Eddy, Twinny Guitar Sookie Strings. The Oak Ridge Boys Together. The Pointer Sisters, Retrospect. Linda Ronstadt, Living in the USA. Leon and Mary Russell, Make Love to the Music. Sky, Skyline. Ronnie Millsap, There's No Getting Over Me. Ray Conniff, with his orchestra and chorus. Ray, Con- Ray Conniff's World of Hits. Rogers and Hammerstein, South Pacific. Go ahead and cheer. Yes! <laughs> she was all happy about that one. Next one. Jack Lemon sings and plays music from Some Like It Hot. All right, station break again. Uh, Jack Lemon, people. If you don't know who Jack Lemon is, uh, search original Odd Couple. The original movie Odd Couple, not the TV show. He was in the movie 
um, in the 80s with Sissy Space that called Missing. And it was a really good show because he played the father of a son because his son and, and Sissy Spacek was his daughter-in-law. They moved over to Lebanon during some of the bad parts, and the son went missing. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, they were just trying to get his body. I mean, he it, it came down to it. He's wanted his body back. Yeah. So, anyways, I, remember, I wish I could find that movie on Blu-ray. That is actually a good movie. Okay. I like it, at least. I mean, uh, most people, I don't know. Anyways, back to the show. Your turn. Oh, Roy, no, I just said Jack Lemon. You did, oh, you did Jack, never mind. Brain fart. Roy Drusky, my gr- grass is green, and. All my hard times. Tex Ritter, high noon. The Platters, encore of golden hits. And Johnny Tillotson, 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 Johnny Tillotson. Sings Our World. Now, again, these are the ones that we got on that weekend where they had the 50% off. This was still the Friday, the same Friday where we got, uh, I think, last week or two, I don't know, last time we did this, I should say, uh, where we, or whenever we mentioned that we got the Queen uh, cassette or CD for uh, Bohemian Rhapsody movie soundtrack over there. So, this is that same Friday. So, again, like I said, I mean, this is July. Again, we're still waiting on our, we're still waiting on the uh, box from Band Rock, Band Box Rocks. And, of course, I just ordered, an, I just ordered one single LP off of eBay today. So, we'll have to wait for that to come in to talk about that. And we'll talk about who we actually bought it from. Yes, we will when it on right. the podcast. All right, but anyways, let's get on. Anyway, so that was bought that week. Let's go ahead and get on to our main topic. Stanley Gorkov's testimony. Take it away, Chairman Danforth. The next witness is Mr. Stanley Gorkov, President Recording Industry Association of America. Mr. Gorkov, thank you for your patience. Please proceed. Thank you, Mr. Chairman and members of the committee. Your staff has advised me that I have 10 minutes for my statement. I am Stanley Gordico, president of the Recording Industry Association of America, and our member companies, which I represent today, create and market about 85% of the recording sold in the United States. We understand the course that this hearing was called to respond to the express protests of the Parents Music Resource Center relating to the content of rock music recordings. And to confront that challenge, of course, each record company may may exercise its own discretion. However, 24 of our member companies have reached consensus to foster a fair balance between the concerns of the PMRC and those of the recording companies, performers, creators, and music buyers and listeners. Briefly summarized, the PMRC desires recording companies to be sensitive to younger children in regard to the explicit content of certain recordings and to provide the means by which parents may exercise reasonable discretion over such recordings. In response to that basic quest of the PMRC, let me tell you what recording companies are able and willing to do, what they cannot or will not do, and why. First, what we can and will do. To begin, we respect those parental concerns. Our constructive response is this. On future releases containing explicit lyrics, Recording companies individually will include a packaging inscription that will state, parental guidance, explicit lyrics. This will highlight such content for any concerned parent 
to exercise discretion. And that move by the recording companies directly addresses the core concern of the PMRC. For the record companies, this is a significant step which we do approach, though, with trepidation. It is as far as we can and should go. The described parental guidance inscription is not a, universal, a universally popular solution. Many feel that the inscription goes too far and represents caving in to the PMRC. Creative people are saying so, and you heard that. So are thoughtful journalists and media responses, some of which accompany our written statement. But there are some PMRC recommendations that we just cannot accommodate. The first relates to ratings. We will not rate the 25,000 new recorded songs we release each year as originally requested by the PMRC. We would not even know how, let alone trust anointed experts to do so. By whose standards would such, would such ratings be determined? For what audience ages? For what religious, geographic, and societal backgrounds? For what degree of permissiveness or stricture? Nor will we, by separate ratings, differentiate between violent, sexual, substance abuse, or occult content. I doubt if any really concerned parent needs to favor or deplore any one of those categories over the others. However, if the PMRC or any other organization really wants ratings, it is free to set up its own private system, just as the Catholic Church has done for movies. Second, in respect to lyrics. We cannot consistently imprint on the outside of recordings the lyrics of the songs within or reproduce them for broadcasters. Music publishers usually own those rights, not record companies. Further, we cannot commit 50% of the space available on an LP jacket to lyrics alone. And cassettes are just too small to permit lyric display. Third, in respect to in-store, the PMRC has asked that retailers be required to place explicit recordings behind counters or in special wrappers and to keep a master set of all lyrics on hand in stores. Recording companies do not have such rights or control. Retailers run their own businesses. Many are self-service with inadequate staffs to implement such actions. They also must serve the needs of the 95% of their music purchasers who are not younger children. What I've just presented then summarizes what recording companies can and cannot do. Nevertheless, to our planned parental guidance inscription, the PMRC has said it is not enough. PMRC instead wants an industry panel to prepare common qualifications for such an inscription. Again, what superior wisdom would any such panel possess to proclaim a national standard for our diverse populace? The PMRC itself has not needed guidelines to identify lyrics they have exposed to you here today. No star panel can make endless laundry lists of no-nos that can handily apply to every future lyric written. Lyrics just do not come only in, convenient, in the convenient form of four-letter words. They deal with interpretations, imagery, allusions, and a master bank of right-wrong or good-bad characterizations is likely to become a first step towards censorship, a concept which is abhorrent and fundamentally inconsistent with creative freedom and American values. In this hearing today, you have heard some understandable protests by the PMRC. We plan to act upon these concerns seriously. However, I also must spotlight five equally important truths that are essentially ignored by the PMRC 
in its media pronouncements, but hopefully which will be recognized by this committee. The first relates to unfairness. The sheer number of offensive recordings is minute compared with the total mass of recordings released by the industry. Yet the narrow targeting of the PMRC unfairly characterizes all artists and all companies as universal practitioners of evil. Second, positives. Whereas some lyrics may be objectionable, the mass of lyrics reflects either pure entertainment or socially positive attitudes and practices. If recordings do in fact affect young minds as maintained by the PMRC, then the heavy thrust of our industry's input is positive, not negative. Other forces, the PMRC and therefore this committee is focusing solely on rock music. But why is only rock music unfairly singled out for the scrutiny of the PMRC and the United States Senate, while all other explicit negative influences on younger children go untargeted? What about movies and magazine ads, primetime television, soap operas, books, cable programs? If there is to be a review of negative forces in the environment of younger children, let it be a review of all such forces, not one which focuses on rock music alone. If the PMRC somehow were to be able to purify all music according to its own standards, who's going to purify the remainder of their children's world? Fourth, behavior. The PMRC concentrates on modes of human behavior that it finds objectionable. But those realities are not invented by record companies, songwriters, or performers. Adults in the society, some of them parents, are the real initiators of those extremes. Recorded music reflects rather than introduces society's values and the realities of human conduct, both good and bad. And last, in respect to rights, although in this forum we address the rights of parents and younger children, we cannot submerge the rights of others. We are on delicate ground here in respect to censorship and the First Amendment. We must not trample the rights of parents and other adults whose standards do not coincide with those of the PMRC or any other group. Further, recording artists and songwriters have their own rights and freedoms of expression and even have contractual protections that legally must be respected. We must assure that the noble intentions of the PMRC do not somehow get translated into a, di into a dilution of the rights and freedoms of others. Those five realities which I have just articulated merit the consideration of this committee too. And as to the PMRC, I am getting a little apprehensive about its motives and fervor. Recording companies have offered to meet the core concern of the PMRC. Yet without waiting to see even how the program operates, they tell us that's not good enough. The PMRC has said clearly it does not want censorship. But I fear that the only acceptable translation of the wishes of the PMRC will somehow constitute a de facto first stage form of censorship. The PMRC now, now seems committed to impose its will on an entire creative community and on broadcasters, on record retailers, and thus on all who buy and hear recorded music. The PMRC seeks to revamp the structural patterns of an industry, to hold our feet to the fire. As the PMRC expands its actions and themes, its medium is becoming more vital than its message. I appeal to the PMRC by saying, enough already. I hope it takes pride in what it has spotlighted and achieved and in the response it definitely has triggered. I hope it does not allow a thirst for press, public, and government attention to gain priority over the olive branch we offer. The members of the PMRC are parents. I and many of my colleagues are parents too. 
The PMRC has no monopoly on love and concern for kids. Child supervision is my personal parental responsibility, and the degrees of control versus freedom are mine alone to set. I certainly would not be content to assign any part of my responsibility to some outside surrogate like a record company, a radio station, a censorship panel, a government body, or a parent organization. Thank you. Well, I have a couple. No. No, we, we're not going to have applause. I have um, a couple of comments for you, uh, Mr. Gordikoff, uh, and then uh, a couple of questions. You say that, uh, that the PMRC is holding your feet to the fire, the record company's feet to the fire. They're doing that by publicizing the problem, right? By publicizing the problem? Yes. I mean, you don't object to anybody publicizing their concerns, do you? No, but it's the degree, the narrowness of the focus, the ignoring the I mean, why, why shouldn't anybody publicize any problem that occurs to them? If people are concerned about values in a society, if they're concerned about uh, uh, what's available to their kids, why shouldn't they publicize it? The whole music industry lives on publicity, thrives on publicity. Why shouldn't concerned parents be able to publicize their problems as well and their I'm concerns? I'm not saying they shouldn't, but by the same token, I want to publicize to you these other aspects that put this thing in proper perspective. Well, I'm glad you're here, but I mean, I, I don't think that it's right to attack other, I mean, you can attack anybody you want, it's your time as the witness, but it seems to me that it's perfectly reasonable and even commendable for concerned parents to say, wait a second, we're concerned about what's going on in this country and we're going to call attention to it. We're not going to, we're not going to sweep it under the rug. We're not going to leave this just a matter between record companies and, and uh, teenage kids. We're going to, we're going to uh, talk about it and bring it out in the open. And uh, that's how we're going to try to hold people's feet to the fire, just by publicizing it. That's reasonable, I think. It's reasonable, providing the perspective is accurate, the perspective is not been. Well, uh, do you deny the, uh, the, the, the uh, uh, testimony of the, of the PMRC and the, the lyrics that they uh, read to us this morning? I mean, no. it just seems to me that that's, that that's there, just a matter of, of, of objective fact. The, the lyrics are there. Those lyrics are being sold to whoever wants to walk into a store and buy them. You're absolutely right, and they focus on the negative impact of those lyrics as they see it on their children. What they don't say, for example, is take the We Are the World record. I, grant, I promise you that their children learned more from the USA for Africa We Are the World record. It's, it's in respect to, please, may I finish? Of course. In respect to generosity, giving, caring, brotherhood, sacrifice, those positive messages are just as important as the negative ones, and I only ask perspective and balance. I think it's, it was absolutely commendable, that record, and I've said so many times. Uh, but uh, I also think that, that I mean, it is, it is reasonable for parents to express concern and to do so very openly if records, in fact, suggest or even glorify incest or violence, or suicide. Well, what, I, what we are espousing, we have taken action in response to that. We're not sitting here saying, ignoring what has been said, what has been publicized. We are taking action. 
we ask that that action be given a chance in the marketplace to work. Now, if a PG rating, if some sort of rating were given uh, records, there would have to be some basis for giving it, wouldn't there? I mean, you wouldn't just draw names out of a hat. There would be some basis for determining what got the label and what didn't, right? Yes. Who would, who would decide that? The individual companies would de decide in putting the parental guidance inscription on, the individual companies would make the determination that a given record with explicit content in these various areas that have been mentioned uh, would warrant the inscription. What if the company's whole business is to try to make as much money as possible by selling uh, smut? It may even decide that, and you may even find that the application of this inscription will enhance, not deter sales. It might, but what if it were to determine that it was uh, deleterious to record sales? And it's an that it wasn't going to apply the record, the, the, the label at all. Then what would you do? Then what would... What, what would your suggestion well, be? Well, if a company chooses to ignore and not apply this or do it unfairly, I have a hunch the PMRC would rise again and uh, approach you and approach the public for a redress. But give it a chance to work. Let's not decide in front that the, that the intentions or uh, motivations or effects of the program will not work. That's unfair. Well... It's a judgmental and it's an imperfect system. Well, I mean, like I, I, you can't, I can't blame them for being a little bit wary about the motives of record companies that are right now making their profits by peddling uh, uh, lyrics that glorify rape and incest and drugs and suicide and violence to children. Why should they feel that that's any great custodian of the values of their kids? Yeah, but on the, on the other hand, they are not saying that those that the content of records should be changed. They're only asking that they be identified. They're, they're, yes, they're, but identify. they're asking that somebody assume responsibility for identifying them, and I don't think that there's much basis for feeling that the record companies are terribly responsible. Then... I mean, why would somebody who is set, making a profit selling records glorifying incest be a responsible body to uh, disclose anything. Why is the motion picture industry, which rates itself, responsible? Does each company rate itself? The, a, the Motion Picture Association itself rates its own. Well, you don't, want the ra you don't want your association to rate anybody. You want each company to do it individually. Because I don't think there are standards that can be developed for lyrics. Lyrics are not like motion pictures. Standards, precise standards, cannot be developed for language. Well, nothing's precise, but I think, I mean, it's just clear to me that, that um, I mean, what we heard today, it's, it's, it is so clearly um, pornographic, obscene, that uh, it doesn't take too much guessing in that case, does it? No, it isn't. That's why I say there'd be no problem in attaching the inscription for example, every, every uh, lyric that was exposed here today would certainly qualify. And I've even suggested to the PMRC that if it has a preferred set of standards or guidelines, give them to me. Let me uh, communicate those to the record companies. I have not had a response on Good. that. Well, I think you've come some distance, but it, it seems to me that looking at, at it from the standpoint of, of what we heard earlier today, it really is not adequate. 
just say every record company does whatever it wants by way of labeling. No, every record company would apply an inscription when the content of lyrics is explicit. I don't think it's very difficult to determine when lyric content is explicit any more than the PMRC has had any problem in determining the explicitness of the items that were uh, aired here today. Senator Gore. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. There are some uh, uh, spokesmen for the industry who, because of the uh, length of this witness list, understandably could not to be included. One of them is uh, George David Weiss, president of the Songwriters Guild of America. And uh, he prepared a very short two-and-a-half-page uh, statement, which, with your permission and with unanimous consent, I would like to Without put objection. into the record. Thank you. Mr. Uh, Gordikoff, your exchanges with the chairman uh, have illuminated uh, the degree to which your industry has been willing to respond to the concerns expressed about explicit uh, lyric content. I'd like to follow uh, uh, along with the train of questioning begun by the chairman. You have uh, recognized that there are legitimate concerns on the part of parents, correct? Correct. You have recognized that the industry has some responsibility to help parents in uh, fulfilling their own responsibility as parents, correct? Correct. Where you begin to uh, part ways with the PMRC and the PTA and others is in your refusal to acknowledge that the industry as a whole has such a responsibility. Your position is that 24 companies should apply 24 different sets of criteria in determining what material warrants a label and what material does not, correct? No. I don't think there will be 24 different sets of criteria. I think it will be a simple problem to identify the type of material that was exposed to you today, just as the PMRC has exposed that to you. I see no problem in doing that. If it doesn't work, then some corrective action might be appropriate, but give it a chance. Well, either the industry feels a sense of responsibility or it does not. If it does, then the key question is, why can't the industry get together and develop an industry-wide set of criteria, the same way the movie industry does, the same way dozens of uh, industries around this country meet what they conceive to be their responsibilities to the public in a collective way? If you just leave it up to each individual company, then those who have been least responsible in the past are going to be the least responsible in the future. If, on the other hand, there is an industry-wide recognition that there is some responsibility to the public, then the industry ought to be willing to convey that sense of responsibility to its individual members. I go back to my testimony. You're dealing with lyrics. You're not dealing with motion pictures, which have a precise image. Uh, <laughs> we're dealing with lyrics here. And I think that the, there is no problem in a record company identifying what is 
or it's not explicit sexuality or explicit violence. I don't see a problem here. Well, some would say that. And other than a, a set of guidelines is going to say, we will identify explicit sexuality, we will identify explicit violence. When you get into words, how are you going to convert that to a precise set of guidelines? I well, think some it is impossible that, uh, to do. Some would say that it's uh, even more difficult to uh, engage in such a task with the visual uh, uh, images in the movies than it is with the lyric. Well, I've been told, I've been told by the executive, by the executive rating, rating entity of the Motion Picture Association that it has no written guidelines that what it does is subjective and judgmental to the best of its degree, of its capability. But so they it does not have any guidelines. They haven't, do they not have an industry-wide standard? They, I mean, they don't have any guidelines that develop but, but what now, those ratings are. The individual, uh, rec the individual uh, movie companies don't, uh, don't uh, uh, rate their own movies, do they? No, their association does. And according to a... Uh, an industry-wide uh, uh, sense of what uh, is appropriate, right? No, that, that's what I'm saying. They state that they have no such guidelines, that it is judgment on the part of the six or seven raters as to whether a motion picture qualifies for a certain age exposure. Well, uh, or, I, don't, or I can't believe that it is a totally ad hoc uh, uh, approach. I mean, they, they have... Uh, well, this was what I was told by a senior executive as recently as yesterday. Well, I mean, they, they have specific categories. Only, uh, and only, there, have been, there have been debates about uh, the appropriateness of uh, a movie falling into one category or another and appeals, and there's a dialogue about uh, where, where it fits. But when that dialogue takes place, it is the industry as a whole which is making the decision. Here you're suggesting that each individual company uh, make, make that judgment on its own. And what I'm saying in response is, the ones that have been really irresponsible in uh, promoting uh, suicide and all the other things that we've uh, heard here, those companies are gonna be the least likely to exhibit uh, a, a sense of responsibility on their own. Don't you agree with that? Not necessarily, I don't, because of the records that you have exposed here today, I'm quite sure, although I don't know the uh, company that originates each one of them, but it does represent a spectrum of uh, a wide range of industry companies. So uh, the motivation, and those same companies produce a wide array of records that would not uh, so qualify for exposure here today. At this point, the audio drops out, we get static, um, you're not gonna hear it because I've already I'm cut cutting that out, adding this portion in. So we don't hear a reply from Senator Gore. We don't hear if he has any questions for Mr. Gorikov. But when we come back, it straight up there is Mr. Gorikov talking again. So let's just go ahead and get back to that. Constitutes an acceptance. I haven't had any turn me down. Uh, and these companies, these 24 companies, represent. Uh, somewhere between 80 and 85 percent of the totality of the industry. Yeah. All companies in the industry are not our members. I can't speak for them. Well, secondly, the, the wording of the label you have uh, suggested uh, translates into PG, basically, parental guidance, uh, which, is, which has become associated over the years in the minds of the public with material in the movie industry, which is 
generally considered suitable for, for young children. There's been a kind of an erosion of the meaning of PG, I guess. But, uh, you know, five, six-year-olds uh, will routinely watch uh, PG movies, and their parents have come to, to feel, in many cases, that, well, you know, PG means maybe a, one or two bad words, or, not, you know, it's not really uh, a bad thing. But uh, the material we uh, saw this morning, uh, if translated into the sphere of the movie industry, would be uh, X, uh, or certainly R. And, and uh, if you are going to only have one label, shouldn't it be one that does not engender confusion in the minds of parents who might equate that parental guidance with the same meaning that it has acquired through the long experience of the movie industry? Uh, we were not proposing to use PG. We were using the full uh, language, parental guidance, explicit lyrics. The words parental guidance we lifted right out of communications I received from the, from the PMRC. And on that, the choice of words was predicated. So it was not intended to relate or not to relate to motion picture. But I take it, uh, just in brief conclusion, that that's a matter that you're still engaged in some dialogue about. Is that correct? Well, we felt that it was adequate. If it isn't, then uh, we have to go back to the drawing boards. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Riggle. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I think as this discussion goes along that uh, I, I think most people would agree that in the end we don't want to end up with some legislated uh, standard or framework here. I think what we, what we want to try to do in the kind of society we have is to work this out uh, in some way other than that. And I think the industry association should properly take the lead, and I appreciate the fact that you're here. Uh, but I'd like to make a couple suggestions to you, because I don't think what you've said today uh, is as adequate as it, as it needs to be. Uh, I've heard, I've listened very carefully to what you've said, and you've said, in effect, that you think each of the companies can figure this out for themselves, uh, what explicit material is, and to make that judgment. If that's so, then I think uh, the association as a whole can just as readily do it, and you can decide as a body what, in fact, meets that test of explicit uh, material or, or lyrics and, uh, and establish that as a standard on your own to keep other people out of it, but I think you do have a responsibility to do it within the industry, and I think it ought to apply industry-wide. And uh, I don't think you should uh, have a situation where different companies uh, uh, can go a different way and, in a sense, do something that, in a, in, 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 if they decide to, uh, to not honor that or the, or the feeling that uh, meets the general sense within the industry, then the whole industry, in a sense, uh, uh, falls under the shadow of that kind of, uh, of an extreme judgment. So I, I think if, if, if your association has any meaning and power, uh, you ought to step up to that, and you ought to do it before somebody else tries to do it for you. So I, I would just suggest that you do that. I don't think that's uh, a very I – don't, I don't think the difference between what you say you want to do and what I think that would help you do is, is, <clears throat> is all that great, but I, I think it, uh, it would be an important step. Secondly – I think where there is explicit, where there are explicit lyrics, I think there ought to be a written text, and I think you ought to provide it, and I don't think there's any excuse for not doing it, other than cost, other than cost. And I would say that if, if we're going to have material coming out, and these are not cheap items, these things, uh, uh, these, the records, uh, whether they're 
uh, singles or uh, or uh, uh, albums uh, uh, carry a high enough price tag that if it costs an extra five cents or three cents or whatever it does on the margin to, to print out uh, what the text is uh, when you have explicit material, I think it ought to be there. I think that's another obligation, and uh, it still leaves it with the public to make a judgment and decide what they want to buy or not want to buy. But to simply say they're explicit lyrics and, uh, and not have a way for somebody to, to see what that means and whether or not in the, in the sense of, a, of a, a particular family or parent, well, they would decide that that is something that, that they would encourage their children to have or not encourage their children to have. If you don't, if in fact you're saying there are explicit lyrics here, but we're not going to tell you what it is, you've got to actually buy, take and listen to the record. I don't, I don't think that's sufficient. I think, I think in that case, and I gather... Frank Zappa took that position earlier that he had no problem when that exists of having it printed out. And if it costs you two or three or four or five cents more to put that on the inside of the record cover, I think you ought to do it. I just think you ought to do it. That falls, in my view, in the area of full disclosure. And again, it doesn't tell people how they should make the judgment, but at least puts people in a position to be able to make an informed judgment. So uh, and I want to I make an additional point with respect to the movies, because you were talking about the fact that there is a difference here. Well, obviously, there is normally a, a, uh, a verbal uh, side to the movie, uh, or there is the sound side to the movie, as well as what one sees on the screen, whereas, of course, if we're just talking about a record, it's, it would be the lyrics, and you would not, of course, have, have the video part of it. But it seems to me that uh, if they're able to set, in a sense, an industry-wide standard, albeit with, I gather, 400 movies a year versus maybe 25,000 records, so we're talking about a much bigger task with, within the record industry. They have found a way uh, within their industry association to set up a working uh, rating system far more complex than you're talking about. They have a, a variety of grades, and as was said, it's not just PG, but they have X-rated, and they have various uh, ratings along the way. So they, they have found a way to take... And, uh, and do that job with, in an area that I think is even more difficult because you're not only just rating the actual word content of a movie, but you're also making some kind of a qualitative judgment about what's actually seen on the screen. I think your job is easier. I think, in fact, and in a sense, you're, you're saying that because you've already admitted that point when you've said here that you're going to draw the line in terms of disclosure uh, at, at the point at which explicit lyrics are used, your choice of words. So... It seems to me that uh, in light of that, uh, it, it, it's really quite easy to, to, to establish for yourself an industry-wide standard and expect that others in the industry will adhere to that standard. And I would be frank to say to you, if you do that, I think uh, that would be a helpful step. And if somebody didn't want to, uh, somebody in the industry basically didn't want to adhere to that, then I think uh, the industry, the remaining companies, have some obligation to differentiate themselves from whoever that might be. And, and again, uh, I, I think that to, to the extent that you can do this among yourselves, that's a far better way to try to have this done. Uh, frankly, the, the examples we've heard today are the most extreme examples. Obviously, uh, the, the ones that were cited earlier uh, in terms of violence or uh, or incest, or suicide, or what have you—that uh, that the most extreme examples that are out there today are the ones that are used uh, to illustrate the problem. But I think almost everybody uh, that's thoughtful uh, is troubled by that, troubled by those extreme examples. And I think, uh, at the very least, we ought to have a way 
of being fully informed about them so that parents are in a stronger position, and for that matter, young people for themselves in their own behalf uh, are in a better position to try to make some kind of a qualitative judgment. So I think you've taken a step here, but I think you can go somewhat further on your own, and I think it would be constructed to have you do so. Mayor please. Uh, please understand several things about the application of lyrics on the outside, say, of an album uh, jacket. I repeat that these lyrics are owned by music publishers, not record companies. The right to reproduce has to come from that. In some cases, it would be easy. Uh, in a given album, there could be as many as 10 different music publishers represented. Rights may therefore come from eight of them or nine of them or not from the one that is the key one. If such lyrics were exposed on the outside, and those lyrics tend to be... I don't say that they ought to be on the outside, but they ought to be such that if somebody's going to buy the album, I mean, maybe it's a fold-open album, they can open it and take a look at it. But the, all albums are, are shrink-wrapped with plastic, and they would have to be on the outside or would not be visible, which raises another question. If questionable lyrics that are protested here, such as those protested here today, were printed on the outside of an album, would we be again castigated by parents for daring to expose such explicit language to their younger children and maybe be hauled before a committee uh, to have to explain ourselves for daring to uh, reveal such uh, objectionable material? I, look, let me tell you something. Uh, I think there's a way to solve that problem, and there are probably a lot of different ways to solve it. I, just in terms of what comes to mind, I, I realize the way records come now, but you could certainly have... Uh, two sides to you could have a, 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 a paneled uh, container and the records on one side and, uh, and and I've seen them like that I own some myself it's a matter of cost it's not a it's not a matter of the fact that you can't do it and I guess what I'd like to establish with you I think you're a lot better off once you've decided that explicit lyrics are there to make the full disclosure and I think you should do that I don't think you should fight it I think you should find uh, the most efficient way to do it so that people have the information to make a competent judgment. I think you're on a lot sounder ground if you do that than if, you, uh, than if you're reluctant about it for basically reasons of cost or inconvenience. Mr. Uh, Gordikoff, I just wanted to correct one statement that you made. You referred to being hauled before a committee. You weren't hauled before this committee. You I didn't say that I was to come here. No, sir. I didn't. Sorry, I did not say that I was. You're here voluntarily, right? Yeah, I was talking in the future. Well, we don't haul people before committees, at least this committee. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All righty, Kimberly. Oh, Jesus, Christopher. Okay, well, hold on. Before we get into what the friggin' senator, because that's where you're probably pissy about. Let's start off with Mr. Gordonkoff's Gordonkoff. 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 Let's start with his testimony. What do you think of it? I think it's pretty good. He does bring up some valid points. And yes, the industry doesn't really, like he said, have copyright copyright access to those lyrics. They would have okay. to go through a whole red tape to even get the lyrics written. Well, yeah, but then how come some band... I mean, here's my thing is, why, like, let's... I mean, just look at Motley Crue. I mean, uh -huh. why is every album, at least on CD or yeah, on CD on record? I mean, they didn't do the cassettes, but why was all the records and all the CDs had the lyrics from Too Fast for Love up through Doctor Feelgood? They printed them. It was printed on them. And the only reason why it wasn't done on the '94 album was because 
Nikki didn't want the fa- he wanted the fans to listen to the music and figure out the words on their own. He didn't want them looking at the lyrics to learn the lyrics before listening to music. So, but then again, they still had a publishing company that yeah. owned those rights to those lyrics. Yeah, they did. So, I mean, the thing is this is is if in the if and this one, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this because I mean it kind of coincides with a lot of stuff that was being brought up during the the senator's testimony. If the industry itself, and I'm talking to RIAA, if they would have stated, came out and said, okay, all lyrics have to be printed. Okay. So whatever cost that is, you know, three, four, five cents. I mean, come on. We're talking about millions of records back in the day. Yeah. We are. We're not talking today where we're dealing with streaming and, and stuff like that. That's true. You know, we're talking about back in our day, we bought albums. Yeah, we did. We didn't buy singles. We bought albums yeah we did so i don't see an issue well no that's not what i don't see an issue about having you it know, either i know but i'm just saying i mean he he beats around the blah, 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 blah. okay anyways what anything else from his testimony without going into what the, he was saying to the senators well the thing is is just based on his testimony to me you know i mean to me it sounds like yeah he wasn't fully behind everything that he was saying. He was just like reciting it like a robot. He wasn't like totally no. behind it. He still had that that um, okay, you talking sour about, taste in his mouth. Okay, while but you're talking. Okay, you're talking about when he was reading his testimony. Yeah. Okay. One thing I'm gonna say about his testimony is uh, the main thing I took out, and I, I, I and I don't know if y'all caught this or not, was right in the damn beginning. What we won't do and can't do. Yeah, I noticed that. You know, and, and there was one point, what we will do. Yeah. But you had two negatives with one positive. Yeah, that's true. You did. So right at that moment there, I'm sorry, if I'm a senator, I'm taking that as, well, okay, mother frigger. Yeah. You know, let's come at you. All right. So he gets done with his testimony. Um, then uh, Danforth speaks. Yes, he does. And he, he, Danforth, Chairman Danforth, I didn't mean to cut you off, but Chairman Danforth does bring up some valid concerns. The only issue I have with him is, again, he's making the parents look like they're innocent bystanders and that they don't know shit about what their kids are listening to. But they didn't. Yeah, but then. I'm I'm just saying, they didn't know. Well, yeah. I. But then again, how many parents actually listen? I mean. How many parents really listen to their kids' music? Yeah, exactly. You know? And it's like, it's just, it's to me, it just goes back to they just wanted to, something to bypass the time, and this hearing was it. Okay. So then we get to Senator Gore. Who can't shut up. <laughs> Luckily, he's got his time limit and he's got a bell. Yes. Um, anyways, uh, one thing Senator Gore brought up, I think it was him. I think it was him talking about the movie industry. Yes, it was, and I agree with him there. Yes. Okay. The mo- so, real quick, before you keep your thought, but before you go into it, so the one thing he brought up was, I think it was the movie industry and how, uh, according to Gordikoff, they don't have a set of standards that they go by to rate a movie G, PG. R, X, okay, you remember, I think it was 85, 
This is 85, so I'm not for sure PG-13 was in yet. We might have finally got PG-13. I just can't remember when the first Indiana Jones came out. Do you? I do not remember when the first Indiana okay, Jones came so out. No. I can't remember. So I don't know if we had the PG-13 yet. So, G, obviously we pretty much narrow those down to Disney movies. Yes, we did. You know, PG was, you know, Star Wars. Yes. Um, uh, Gosh. Anyways, you get to R, you had, la- it was pretty much language, nudity, violence, a lot, a really big violence. Yes. But that's where, uh, I know that's where Spielberg started fighting it because he didn't want Indiana Jones to be rated R. Yes, And that's so true. the industry came in and created the PG-13. Okay, so now we have this little, and, and they eventually they said PG-13, you can have one F word in there. So real quick, and this is on the MPAA, which is the Motion Picture. God, what is it again? Motion Picture Association. No, it stands for something else. Oh, my gosh. Anyways, the MPAA. This is real quick. Okay, let's just go over the, um, is it? That's, of course. I move and, um, yeah, those ratings. Anyways, I think it's right here. So. Established by the MPAA in 1968, the rating system was created to help parents make informed viewing choices for their children, learn the facts, history, and evolution behind 50 years as because they turned 50 in, in 2018. Okay, so let's just go over this real quick. Um, ratings G general audiences, nothing that would offend parents for, for viewing by children, all ages admitted. Parental guidance or PG. Parents urged to give parental guidance may contain some material parents might not like for their young children. PG 13, parents strongly cautioned. Parents are urged to be cautious. Some material may be inappropriate for pre teenagers, are restricted, contains some adult material. Parents are urged to learn more about the film before taking their young children with them. NC-17, no one 17 and under admitted. Clearly, adult children are not admitted. And then, of course, we all know the next one after that would be X. And yes. Double X and triple X and all that yeah. good stuff. And then, then uh, I don't know when they started adding the extra little box, but where they added the extra box where, you know, it would give them, uh, you know, like brief nudity or stuff like that. I, they might have added it way back. But anyways, I'm just saying, is obviously they've had a set of guidelines since 1968. Yes, they have. So whoever Gordikoff supposedly talked to on September 18th, 2000, or 1985, obviously that person gave him wrong information. Yes, they did. So at that point, I don't see, and again, we're talking, you know, I, I understand 400 movies versus 25,000 songs, okay? Now, I know the the biggest thing was is, you know, is like what Zappa was bringing. Frank Zappa brought up what D Snyder. I don't know if D brought it up, but what Frank Zappa brought up was how can you rate a full album by one song? That's, well, that's true. He did bring that up. Okay, but it's the same thing with a movie. If the movie has the F word, if it's got one F word, it's automatically going PG thirteen. Regardless of what the rest of the, the rest of the movie could be, you know, Aladdin, you know, like Aladdin, the, the cartoon version from Disney that was rated G back in the day. But they say 
F word in it, and that jumps it automatically PG thirteen. That's true. It does. It doesn't matter what's in the rest of the movie. No, it don't. So it's the same thing. Now, one thing I will agree with Zappa, is, Mr. Zappa, is the fact that actors aren't held to that. They're not held to that character. No, they're not. You know, and I mean, Mark Hamill's Mark Hamill. Yeah. Who played Luke, Luke Skywalker. Skywalker. Yeah. Carrie Fisher played Princess Leia. Han or Harrison Ford played Han Solo. Yeah. You know, they played other parts. You know, Roger Moore played James Bond. Bond. Yeah. Sean Connery played, played James, James Bond. Bond. Yeah. But they're also known for other roles. Yeah, they are. So where the difference is is like Frank Zappa, that album is Frank Zappa. You know, for D. Snyder of Twisted Sister. You know, if D. Snyder wrote all the lyrics, well, guess what? That Twisted Sister album is D. Snyder. Yeah, it is. You know, so, I mean, there is that part of it. But as far as Gordacop sitting, sitting there and saying, oh, well, they just, it, it pretty much is, like Gore said, an ad hoc. So, in other words, you know, if you're liked in the industry, you're going to get a favorable rating. Okay, well, here's a good one. How about this? I don't know how many people might remember this, especially if you're Star Wars fans. Episode 3 of Revenge of the Sith was going to get an R rating. I do remember that. Yet, George went back and cut something out. I'm not sure what he cut out. And it got the PG-13 rating. Yeah, I do remember that. But I do remember originally there was talking that Revenge of the Sith was going to be the first Star Wars movie to ever be rated R. Which I thought, oh, dang. But it's, it is the only one ever rated PG-13. Yes, it is. So... Just kind of, okay, so after him, then we get the next guy t- talking. Oh, and wait, wait, you had something to say about uh, Gore. I'm sorry. You probably forgot what it was. No. I cut you off. Okay. No, no. I just agree with the points that he was trying to make. It's just that, I mean, everything all comes back to all they wanted to do was just basically grill everybody on something that, you know the parents. Yes, they don't listen to the music. Yes, they need to be need to be aware of what is contained in the music, but they also need to not ha, not be have will not have their responsibility taken from them and thrown on to somebody else. Okay, I'm, something else. I mean, actually, I wanted to bring this up on the damn point, but I forgot what it was. But Gore also brought it kind of up too. The problem was is that the industry. Until just that next month, you know, the month before August of 1985, didn't want to do anything. Yeah, that's true. You did tell so, me that. So, you know, well, we weren't really told about it. We were, it was in uh, Tipper's testimony. Yeah. You know, so when it comes down to it, you know, the industry itself didn't want to do anything about it. Now, I disagree. Where I really disagree with Gordikoff is... The fact that you're leaving it up to the labels. Yeah. And unfortunately, it, it, I mean, it, we, we know it's past. We know, we know they do it today. Um, and it is still voluntary. Yeah. That's why you don't see no country albums with a parental advisory sticker on it. That's true. You don't. Even though they talk about love, sex, drunkenness, drunk, alcohol use. Yeah. Excessive, cheating. excessive alcohol use. Yeah. Cheating. Right. I mean, 
you know, there are a lot of things that they talk about in country music that probably should have that parental advisory sticker. Well, I agree with but you. It, but it doesn't happen. That's right. It don't. And today in the, I mean, well, I mean, I'll, I'll admit, Electra, Electra Records didn't add it to none of their albums. Okay. Um, Motley Crue, matter of fact, the first Motley Crue record that had it was in 94. Oh, okay. Fear of Pain didn't have one, but that was bef- just before because it was released in September. So it was before they actually came through with that. But Girls with Girls was never done that. And there's, you know, Dancing on Glass was about drug use. Plus the song Girls with Girls about strip clubs. Yes. Plus there's Jailhouse Rock, which Vince does say the F word in it. Yeah, that's it's, it's true. It's recorded live in concert. Yeah. Um, And then Dr. Feelgood, you know, there's <laughs> same old situation. Yeah. Um, She goes down. Yeah. I mean, that one's pretty e- easily figured out yeah. just by the title. Yeah, plus there's uh, the Dr. Feelgood song itself does talk about drug about use. about drugs, yes. And um, then Decade of Decadence, which you had all those previous songs on there, including Livewire, which they read back in the early part of this um, when we first started listening to the hearings. And so, again, Electra didn't see the need. And, of course, there was also a live version of Kickstarter My Heart on there. Again, Electra decided not to include a parental advisory sticker. That's true. They didn't. Until the 94 album. Yeah. I find that odd. I do, too. I find it very odd. You know, I mean, really, I mean, there's three albums that are, you know, three albums there that should have actually had the parental advisory sticker. Yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, that I can think of off the top of my head. So it just shows you it is voluntary. It still is voluntary. Yeah, it is. Um, I, And I know when we get to the end of this, um, I do want to read off the RIAA's website of what they say about it because they are now the holder of the parental advisory sticker. And to have the parental advisory sticker, you actually have to, I saw this, you actually have to apply for it. Oh, my gosh. You have to actually apply it, you know, send them an application saying what, what you want it for and how long you want to use it for because they, they own the copyright to the sticker. Oh, my gosh. It's like, are you effing kidding me? Jesus. What's he got to do with it? <laughs> Anyways, emails you can think of on about this? No, it's just it, every the further we get deeper oh, into this hearing. Up. Yeah, go ahead. The the more that these stu- these senators sit here and just talk about the same thing in about 50 different ways, it's just like, okay. What are you got I mean, you as a you as senators don't do crap for the country. You know, why are you thinking that you're better than these records companies well, when you don't even do okay. crap for the com- country? Okay. But let's, let's, let's real kind of rewind again back to Gore when he's asking Gorbachev certain scene to hear this. Yes. Yes. At that point there, I'm just like, he reminds me of, of Oliver. Please, sir. May I have more? Yeah, that's true. He does. I mean, and and then the other thing is, is he's not prepared to answer questions. Well, no, he's not. You can tell that. I mean, and again, it's like you brought up, I mean, you were bringing up, like, you kind of sound like he was just, you know, uh, it was like, almost like he had a secretary or someone else write a speech. Yeah, that's exactly what it you sounded know? like. And they, he didn't really know. I mean, his excuses were were pretty much the stuff that he brought up in his speech. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, the record companies. They could have ate the freaking cost. I mean, they could pay the money to the public. All they'd have to do is just rewrite their 
their their contracts with their artists and say the artists are now responsible for uh making sure that the lyrics are being printed in all the albums. That's and as true. far as and and, and and him saying, well, we can't take up fifty percent of the album cover. Well, that wasn't what was brought up. What was brought up is put in a piece of paper, you know, a piece of paper that's got all the lyrics on it. From you know, if you have to do two sides of it, side one, side two, and then you know, well, what about the cassettes? Well, okay, how hard is it to have um either a fold out thing like Zappa was talking about, or turn around and the record stores actually have to have you know. And that's the thing, and that's where, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but that's where they started, you know, could have actually, Congress could have drawn up some legislation and regulations, because they could have come up with the legislation and regulations saying, hey, all records or all albums, singles, anything going forward have to have printed lyrics added to uh, inside the shrink wrap so parents can see what's on those albums. And record stores have to carry a single sheet have to carry a single sheet because due to the size of a cassettes. Well, yeah. And I mean, it could have came down just like that. Yeah. And once they, and you know, if they bring the certain cassette up that has explicit lyrics, then yes, the paper can be handed over to the parent. Hey, are you sure you want to buy this for your child? Here's the lyric sheet. I mean, so, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, all parental, all parental guidance, explicit lyrics, one, because it wasn't supposed to be, Oh, it's got to be sold to a certain age group. You know, it it, it wasn't like it's not like the movie industry. You know? No, it's not. You know, I means like uh, in in the movie industry. You know, for a child to see a radar movie, they have to go in with a with an adult. Yes, they do. You know, and so that's not. It's definitely not like this. So this was never set up to be like the record in, or the the that industry. Even though a lot of retailers took it that way. Yeah, they did. And they did try to card a lot of kids. That's why a lot of kids came to me to buy their stuff because I looked older. Well, yeah. And so I would. I wouldn't care. You know, kid comes up to me and says they want to want they want this rap album or this album and it's got parental advisor. I said, give me your money. Well, yeah. And I'd go get it for him. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, I charge them a little bit more money. You know, I mean, you know, well, heck yeah. I'm, I'm I'm providing a service, so they have to pay me my services. <laughs> exactly. Anyways, I mean, just just when it boils down to it, it's just it's. All it did is it, it like somebody like me who, and I've told you guys this since the beginning of the podcast, you know, I've always listened to music first. I don't listen to lyrics first. So for me, it was one of those scenes where, oh, well, let me look for these albums that got parental advisory because these are the ones I need to pay attention to the lyrics on. Well, yeah, because that's all it did. Yeah, there's something in those lyrics that I want to hear that well, I'm not why, supposed to hear. Uh, right, exactly. Something I'm not supposed to hear, you know, like like mom and dad would go to bed and you know, wake up two o'clock in the morning, turn on HBO to watch a radar movie. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden, go to bed. You're not supposed to be watching that. Yeah. Damn it. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anyways, um, one side note here. I meant to mention this earlier. So hopefully those of you still listening, you'll hear this. Um, we do want to send our thoughts and prayers to everyone in Southern California with the, uh, that had been hit by the earthquakes this last week. Uh, the 7.1 we actually felt here in our town. Um, it was just a brief little feel. Um, and you see things swaying, but uh, we sent our thoughts and prayers to them over there in Southern California. Um, so they're able to rebuild. They and don't have any more bigger earthquakes. Sorry, but 
I really don't want to see. I don't even want to try to attempt to see what the so-called big one that we've been talking about for 20 freaking years, that have been talking about for over 20 years now, that I can remember, or actually more, it's like 40 years, that I can remember, you know, I don't want to see what that could be like for them. Or what? Nothing, go ahead. Do you feel something? No, I had to itch. Oh, anyways, and also, if you want to kind of keep an eye on what's going on in California with the seismographs on YouTube, I'm going to give a shout out to this channel. It's uh, CA Seismograph. Uh, they have a live uh, video up on a seismograph. It's a homemade seismograph, but it does give you kind of does show you the little needle and moving. And you can see where it comes up on the when there's earthquakes. They'll tell you kind of where they're at. Um, anything. I think they said, I think I read in the chats, unless you're right on where that where the epicenter is, uh, most people won't feel nothing but a, but a three or higher. Um, if you're right at the epicenter, then you're probably looking, you probably could feel a 2.5. Um, so I've been reading in the chat room, and they got some people in there that are pretty knowledgeable. But anyways, that's CA Seismograph on YouTube. Check them out. They have a live video up. Also, they had the videos up for the 6.4 and also the 7.1. So you kind of see how crazy the seismograph goes when those two hit. It is crazy. Anyways, um, other than that, I'll get the hell out of here. In closing, we would like to thank you all for downloading this episode. If you are a new listener and haven't subscribed, please click the subscribe button. If you, sub- if you subscribe, you will be notified when a new episode becomes available. Another way to help our podcast is by giving us a five-star review. It will help. Five stars. It will help. New listeners find this show when they are looking for a new podcast to listen to. Also, you, our listeners, can share this show on your own social media accounts to help spread the word about this podcast. Thanks again to all of our current and longtime listeners. Used and Abused can be found on the following social media platforms. Twitter at Used Abused Pod. Facebook at Used Abused Pod. Tumblr. At Tumblr, used, abused, pod. Instagram, used and abused, pod. That and is spelled out, A-N-D. YouTube, used and abused, pod. Also, if you go to that YouTube channel, you can click that little subscribe button, plus the little bell to be notified when we upload a new video. If you like the videos that you see on our YouTube channel, please click that thumbs up button to let us know that you liked it. Also, you can leave any comments. Comments in this comment section. Email usedandabusedpod at gmail.com. Again, that and is spelled out A and D as always. All social media plat all social media links will be included in the description of each and every episode. So you can always click on those links as well. We can be found on the following podcast apps and directories. Anchor iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Breaker, CastBox, Radio Public, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Please rate and review Use and Views, a music podcast. Five stars. Until next episode, five stars. Have a great weekend. A great work week. Be kind to everyone. And, and keep, keep the, the music, music playing. playing.